Merry Christmas. Next year we will find a song that has the chickens and the shack in it. We'll write one if it doesn't exist. Because I'm sure there were chickens there that day. We are glad that you're here. If you are a guest with us, uh, either in person or online, my name is Paul, I'm one of the pastors here at Hope, and I want to welcome you this Christmas. We are really glad that you are here. We are here today to celebrate a miracle, to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in the hope that Jesus brings to this world. We are recognizing that God's fullness was made manifest in a baby, that the majesty of God appeared in a manger. If you haven't guessed what that says up there yet, that's what it says, majesty in a manger. That the majesty of our God was in a manger for the hope of the world. I want to start by thinking about the shepherds out in the field. Here they were, watching their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified, because this doesn't happen every night. And the angel says to them, do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy for all people. Today, in the city of David, a Savior will be born. He is Messiah and Lord. And this will be a sign to you, that you will go to Bethlehem and find a baby wrapped in cloths. And these shepherds, when they heard this proclamation from the angel, must have been amazed. And, and to add to their amazement, the Bible says that a whole multitude of heaven, that the heavenly host appeared singing praise and glory to God. The majesty of God in a manger. It makes me think of the words of the psalmist from Psalm 8, who writes this, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens through the praise of children and infants. You have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. The psalmist is looking up at the heavens and the stars that God has created. And he's caught up in the immensity of it, in the majesty of this creator God that we worship. And he's wondering a question perhaps we wonder today as we think about the majesty of God in a manger. Who are we that you are mindful of us. Lord, what does this mean for our lives and do you care for us? That psalmist looked at the stars and the moon and had a, a limited understanding of what they were seeing. But let's look at the stars just like that psalmist did back then and, and imagine and wonder at the majesty and might of this God who created the heavens and the universe, who with the work of their hands built all that was made. We are on planet Earth. Earth, we like to think, is a big deal, because it's our home. But really, in the cosmic sense of things, it's just a small little planet, 
fact, it's, as you know, not even the biggest planet in our solar system. That honor goes to Jupiter. In Jupiter, 1,300 Earths could fit inside of Jupiter. So Jupiter is way bigger than Earth is. But Jupiter is not the biggest thing in our solar system as we think about the majesty of God and his creation. That's, of course, our sun. And our sun is immense. It's huge. Our sun is 100 times larger than Jupiter. It contains 99.866% of the mass of our entire solar system. I don't know how they figured that out, but somebody did. 99.866% of the mass of our universe. Now, we'd like to think our sun is impressive, but in fact, it's not the biggest sun out there. Nope, it's not. The next closest sun is a sun called Sirius A, or a star called Sirius A, also called Alpha Canis Majoris A. It's nine light years away, and it's twice the size of our sun. Another sun out there that's even bigger is called Pollux. Pollux is a red-orange giant star that's 34 light years away from us, and it's 10 times larger than our sun. And then there's a star called Arcturus. Arcturus is a red-orange giant star, 37 light years away, and it's 25 times larger than our sun. There's one called Regal. It's a super giant, 773 light years away from us. It's blue-white in color, and it's 70 times larger than our sun. But not only that, it's 85,000 times brighter than our sun. It burns that intensely. It's 85,000 times brighter than our sun. There's one even bigger. You recognize this name. Don't say it three times. <laughs> Betelgeuse, right? It's a red supergiant, 764 times larger than our sun. And there's one even bigger. It's called Antares A, a red supergiant, 600 light years away, that's 1,400 times larger than our sun. Does anybody feel small yet? Right? When we look to the heavens, the work of God's hands, we're just overcome with the majesty of it all. But these stars... These stars are just little blips of light in a larger collection of stars known as a galaxy. And our galaxy is, of course, called the... Right, named after the candy bar. No, that's bad information right there. I think it's the other way around. Candy bar was named after it. Our Milky Way is a spiral galaxy. Spiral galaxy. And to travel across... Our galaxy is 100,000 light years. There's 100 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy. 100 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy. And it's 100,000 light years across. The fastest spaceship we've launched into outer space is Apollo 10. And at its top speed, it would take 3.8 billion years to fly across the Milky Way galaxy galaxy. And our galaxy is not the biggest of the galaxies. 
Our galaxy is part of a cluster of galaxies. A close galaxy to us is Andromeda. It's not just science fiction, it's a real thing. And it's a nearby galaxy that is 250,000 light years across. So one and a half times bigger than our galaxy. And it contains 100,000 billion stars. Can you imagine that? But scientists, they've been uh, putting their measurements out there and, and observing the universe for a long time. And, and they say the observable universe, this is a picture of it, the observable universe, they, they do this by radiation, electromagnetic radiation that they measure in outer space. And say in the observable universe, they estimate there's perhaps two trillion galaxies. Two trillion galaxies, each filled with hundreds of billions of stars. The observable galaxy is 46.5 billion light years across. And why we say observable universe, excuse me, not galaxy, universe, is because that's just what we can measure. Presumably, it just goes on infinitely. Infinitely. When I look to the heavens... And consider the work of your hands, the stars in the sky. Not only do we see the majesty of God in the very large and in the heavens, but let's think about the, the very small. We can look upward, but, but we can look inward as well. One of the smallest things that we know that is the building block of all life is something called an atom. You've heard of this before, right? Here's a diagram. An atom, we know, contains protons, neutrons, and electrons. Well, how small is an atom? Well, I saw a TED Talk that illustrated it this way. How many atoms do you think are in a grapefruit? Anybody got a guess? A lot. That's a good answer. What would you say is a, a lot? 46 atoms, yes. No, 11.8 septillion. That's 24 zeros after a one. It's a trillion, trillion atoms in a grapefruit. Now, how can we even get our minds around this? Well, a way to get your mind around that is if you were to take this grapefruit and you were to blow it up the size of the earth, then you could see the atoms. If this grapefruit were the size of the earth, the atoms then would be the size, if I can grab one, of a blueberry. That's what I got there, of a blueberry, Okay. And there'd be 11.8 septillion blueberries filling the earth. Now you think if you, if you took that atom that's the size of a blueberry now, you could split it apart, right? And you could look in there and there you would see the nucleus with the protons and neutrons and the electrons flying about. But that's not true. If, if it was the size of a blueberry and you split it apart and you looked inside, you'd see nothing. You wouldn't be able to see the nucleus because it's too small. In fact, in order to see the nucleus of the atom you would have to enlarge the blueberry to the size of a football stadium. And if the blueberry were the size of a football stadium, then the nucleus inside of it would be about the size of a blueberry. The size of a blueberry. And on the outer edge, around the edges of the football stadium, would be some electrons that were really hard to see floating around. In fact, inside of an atom, this very, very small thing, is vast, empty space that makes any sense at all. Inside of an atom is vast, empty space. 
But get this, this, these diagrams we've seen in our textbooks, they're very wrong because, you know, the nucleus is very small. But not only is the nucleus very small, it's very dense. Well, how dense is it, Pastor Paul? Great question. Glad you asked. If this blueberry were one foot in diameter and you took 6.2 billion cars and crushed them into that one foot by diameter sphere, that would be the density of the nucleus of an atom. That's impossible for us to even comprehend the magnitude of that. So why, why do we bring this all up? Well, when we think about the majesty of God and his creation, it's important to, to recognize the miracle that is happening in Christmas. That the God who created all of that, who created all of that, resided in a baby. Now you may say to me, well, Pastor Paul, that's great in terms of looking at this universe, but how do we know that that's God? And that's an important question. And one of the, the things that I would submit to you is that if you don't believe that there is a God, that all of this is somehow accidental, then let me ask this question. That observable universe filled with two trillion galaxies, each with hundreds of billions of stars, had to start somewhere. And if, if you're pure scientist, and, and I'm, I, I think science is a wonderful thing that affirms our faith, but if you're a pure scientist, you have to answer this question. Where did it all start? How did it all begin? And the answer is, is that you would have to say that at some point in history, something came out of nothing. That matter, space-time, spontaneously generated out of nothing. It's impossible according to the laws of physics and the laws of science. Our answer is people of faith. Well, so that's God. That God is so great, he stands outside of space and time and matter. He stands outside of that and is greater than that. In fact, he created the universe and all that exists. And that immense, amazing God, that immense, amazing God is the same God that became one of us. That immense, amazing God, his majesty and his might was found fully contained in a baby. That's the, the miracle of Christmas. As Christians, we call this event the incarnation. That God was made incarnate in human flesh. That God dwelled in a human body. And it's a really important concept of our faith to understand so that we know who Jesus is and the implication of Jesus' life in this world. Now the question is, if the majesty of God is found in this baby, then so what? Why does that matter? Well, I would say it matters for everything. Everything. But let me give you three specific reasons, big ones, why the incarnation matters. The incarnation matters. The majesty of God in a manger matters because it's a declaration of God's love for you. God is love. And God became incarnate for you. You see, the thing about love is that love shows up. Love shows up. 
God showed up in human form. We don't worship a God that's somewhere out there, unapproachable and unengageable. We worship a God that showed up in human form so that we could know him and know his will for our life. Love shows up. It's kind of like this. I have a friend that I was talking to this week, called me about some advice. He had another friend that uh, had a tragedy in his life, lost a, a kid. And my friend wanted to know what, what to say, what to do. Have you ever been in that situation? where you've had someone who's been through a traumatic event, a, a crisis, maybe you've been through those events at that time, and, and it seems like there's just nothing we can say or do that would help. And this thing that we, we start with, hopefully, is, you know, I'm sorry for your loss, which is a really good thing to say, to acknowledge. And then I found myself doing this, and, and sometimes I think a lot of people do this. We, we say, you know, if there's anything you need, if there's anything you need, you just call, I'll be there. Just let me know, just let me know. And, and, and I think, you know, that comes from a good place in us. But in my experience as a pastor, what I've observed is there's some people, some really wise people that understand this, is that when people are in crisis, especially when they face a huge loss, they don't know what they need. They're just in shock. They're, they're, trying, they're in grief. They're, they're trying to come to grips with this, this thing that happened that, that has altered their life in a replicable way. And there's people that just seem to get it. So rather than ask, what do you need? They just show up. They bring the food. They bring the casserole, right? They come and shovel the driveway for the 17th time in two days. We know what that's about, right? Uh, they, they, they knock on the door uninvited. They, they come in. They give big hugs. They sit on the couch and they weep with their friends. They listen. See, love shows up. Love is not talk. Love is not something out there. Love is, is real and love shows up. Here's another example of that. We know that as people here at this church. Multiple times a year, we partner with organizations, ministries, either in our community, region, or our world. This Advent, we supported the ministry of the Salvation Army. And we, we joined them in a food drive and a toy drive for uh, people in need in our community. And, and this week, they distributed that food from our church, over 900 Food boxes were distributed to people in need for Christmas to give them food over the Christmas season. And over 1,088 packets of toys were selected and given to families, largely provided by the people of hope, so that children who might not otherwise have can have Christmas this year. And to top that off, we've already counted, there's still more coming in, $30,000 plus in donations to support that cause. And this is just one example of many examples over and over and over again where love shows up. See, the incarnation matters because the incarnation is love showing up. Love with skin on. And that love has a name, Jesus. Love shows up. And because love shows up, the second thing we can know about the incarnation is this. You are not alone. And this one's really important. 
You are not alone. In Jesus Christ, we know this about God. God is intimately acquainted with our human experience. God wept over the loss of a friend. God laughed. God rejoiced and worshiped. God suffered emotionally and physically. God was abandoned. God felt loneliness. God was betrayed. God was persecuted. God knows our experience, our human experience, and thus is so significantly important. We don't worship a God that is somewhere out there and is, is not acquainted with us. We worship a God that desired to enter into our reality, the King of kings, the Lord of all creation, entering into human form so that he might convey to us that we are not alone, that he knows us intimately, personally. Do you need to hear that this Christmas? You're not alone. God is with you. You know, because of the sin and brokenness in this world, sometimes we can feel very isolated. We can feel like nobody gets us. We can, we can feel like that we really don't connect with anyone. We, we can be put on the margins. We, we can be left out. But the truth, the powerful truth, is you are not alone. God is with you. No matter where you go in life and no matter how much other humans might reject you, you have a God who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords that is with you and he loves you and desires to be your friend. You are not alone. Maybe uh, this Christmas you're struggling with grief because you've lost a loved one this last year and it's leaving you just feeling lonely and hurt and abandoned. Maybe you're wrestling with the darkness of depression or the crippling fear of anxiety. You are not alone. Maybe you're battling an addiction. You know there's a habit, a hang-up, a hurt in your life you've been trying to change by your own power and you just keep on failing over and over again. And the grip of shame and guilt has taken a stranglehold on your life. You don't feel you can move forward in any possible way. You feel like maybe even giving up. You are not alone. You're never alone. Our God became one of us, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the majesty of all majesties, entered into human form so that you might know how greatly you're loved and that you're never alone. And finally, the third reason why the incarnation is important is this, is because without a Christmas, there is no Easter. Without an incarnation, there is no resurrection. So Jesus came as love to tell us we're never alone with a laser-focused mission to save us, to save us from the greatest enemy that we face, which is not each other, and it's not you know, nations or politics or any of that stuff that we face in this world. The greatest enemy that we face is death itself. And nobody in the history of this world has been able to defeat death, only Jesus. On the cross, that baby Jesus grew up, 
and laid his life down. God incarnate laid his life down so that we might be forgiven and that we might receive eternal life. Do you know that this Christmas? Do you know that Jesus loves you so much that he gave his very life for you? As followers of Jesus Christ, we receive that by faith. And what that means is simply this. It's not something we have to do. It's more something we have to surrender to. Because what we say is, is Lord, I've tried to do it my way and it didn't work. <laughs> Lord, not my will be done, but your will be done. Lord, not what I want and I desire, but what you want and what you desire for my life. Lord, I confess to you that I'm a sinner and that I'm broken and that I rebel against you and I surrender that to you today so that you can fill me with your love and hope and peace. And that's the greatest gift the world has ever known, the gift of Jesus, the gift of the majesty in a manger, the gift of a cross in an empty tomb, that by faith, eternity, with the King of kings, the Lord of lords, is ours. I pray that you know that and you would receive that and surrender to that this Christmas. Amen. Merry Christmas. Father, thank you today for your grace and love and mercy. Lord, you are the God that can put 11.8 septillion atoms in a grapefruit and two trillion galaxies in outer space. Lord, such a immensity and mystery is too great for us even to begin to fathom. Yet uh, we know that it's your hands that created it all. We thank you, Lord, that uh, you chose to come in the most vulnerable and approachable way. In your son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life for us on the cross. Pray, Lord, that we would celebrate your birth today and celebrate the love that you have for us. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus. Amen.